I'm Dr. Vanessa Sinclair, and this is Rendering Unconscious. Today we have a special episode focused on the Certificate in Psychoanalysis program of the Institute of Psychoanalysis at the Global Center of Advanced Studies, also known as GCAS College, to get together and discuss our work and the classes we are teaching as part of the program. We have with us Brasha Edinger. Dr. Edinger is a prominent and influential artist, painter, theorist, philosopher, and supervising psychoanalyst. She is the Marcel Duchamp Chair and Professor at the European Graduate School and Distinguished Professor of Philosophy at GCAS College, Dublin. She is one of the world's leading theorists in the realm of contemporary French philosophy and psychoanalysis. Her matrixial theory offers a metaphysical paradigm for rethinking subjectivity, transjectivity, and femininity. Her theory ranges between aesthetics and ethics and contributes to rethinking and reframing social relations. We also have with us Dr. Isabel Millar, a philosopher and cultural critic from London. Her work focuses on AI, sex, the body, film, and the future. Her book, The Psychoanalysis of Artificial Intelligence, was published with the Palgrave Lacan series in 2021. She is a research fellow at the Center for Critical Thought at the University of Kent and a research fellow at GCAS. She is currently writing her next book, Patti Politics. Dr. Julie Reshi is a leading researcher in psychoanalysis and professor of philosophy at the Global Center for Advanced Studies, where she directs the Institute of Psychoanalysis. She completed her PhD under the supervision of Dr. Elenka Zupancic at the Research Center of the Slovenian Academy of the Sciences and Arts. She works at the intersection of philosophy, psychoanalysis, and neuroscience. Her research topics including sexuality, emotions, and cognition childhood and trauma studies. We also have with us Helen Rollins, who graduated as top student in Corpus Christi College at Cambridge University with a double first in modern languages. At the age of 22, she taught French language, film, and literature at Eton College, leaving that post two years later to work as a filmmaker. In her cinematic work, she explores ideas of desire, repression, and loss. She has a particular interest in psychoanalysis, continental philosophy, and film and literature from the French and Spanish-speaking world. And Creston Davis. Dr. Davis is the founder and director of the Global Center for Advanced Studies and the Chancellor and CEO of GCAS College, Dublin. He was promoted to Associate Professor at Rollins College in 2012 and has published books with the MIT Press, Columbia, and Duke University Press. He is the creator and co-editor of Insurrections, Critical Studies in Religion, Politics, and Culture series, an academic book series published by Columbia University Press. He currently researches future consciousness, sustainability, and advanced technologies. Also teaching in the Certificate in Psychoanalysis program are Drs. Jameson Webster and Dwayne Roussel. Courses start this weekend on October 2nd. 
First up, we have Dr. Jameson Webster's course on conversion disorder, bodies, symptoms, and anxiety. And courses run throughout the 2021-2022 academic year. For more information and to register for the Certificate in Psychoanalysis at GCAS, visit the website gcascollege.ie. That's gcascollege.ie. It's really a pleasure. And, you know, ultimately, GCAS came around because of a question that I think Slavoj Žižek and I were talking about in Aldiser's uh, famous essay, uh, The Ideological State Apparatus, where he asked the question, like, how the hell does capitalism reproduce itself? And I'm paraphrasing. And so we thought, how can intellectuals figure out a way to organize themselves so that they're committed to knowledge, understandings, and concepts, and ultimately advancing the human endeavor to, uh, to create new worlds, worlds that are more equal, um, more about equality. And so the question that Aldiser poses about how do we reproduce ourselves as a mode of production, of intellectual production, came to the fore. And that's where I think GCAS began, I mean, back in 2002. And then I started organizing and putting together uh, various things. And finally, in 2013, I had the gumption after I got tenure from a liberal arts college in Florida, where I didn't want to continue teaching for 30 years the same damn classes over and over. I thought, well, let's just figure out a way of doing this. Let's throw ourselves into it and uh, see if we can reproduce ourselves in a way that's debt-free for our students, that's cooperative and co-owned with all of you, actually. And that's where I think the Global Center for Advanced Studies began. And since then, it's been a wild and crazy ride, eight years, um, up and down, roller coaster. And now we finally are able to organize an amazing uh, certificate program with uh, the leading you know, intellectuals and theorists and analysts like yourselves. Um, and that's what is really a privilege to see this happen. And so that's sort of the back story. Does that make sense? Yeah, it's fantastic. Um, yeah, because I found in talking to more and more professors, um, you know, school has turned into such a thing as like either to just get a job and get trained for that and not really think. Um, yeah, really that, honestly. And it's really like, instead of being a place academia being a place to kind of promote thought and individual individualistic thought and creativity it's really become a place that's just been like you know memorize this this and this and then you can get a job here here and here and that's it yeah totally and it, what's really amazing is when you create an environment where you don't put students into jeopardy financially they're free to explore. They're not under pressure to get a job to pay back the debt that they're in in order to be into, you know, engage in education. So that's what's really, I think, incredible about what we do is we're able to reach environments in places where you would never be able to go under debt education. And that's what's really cool. So thanks. Yeah, it's really a privilege to be here. Thanks. And it's also international and online, which is important to mention for anybody listening that doesn't know about GCAS already. So you can be anywhere and be earning these degrees. That's right. We've actually had over 40 different seminars in different places around the world, like from Havana, Cuba, uh, New York City with Oliver Stone and others, with Braha in Paris, um, and Lusa Rigorai in Paris as well. And so, and actually in a couple in a couple weeks, we'll be having another live seminar here in Mexico City. So it's really fun where it's kind of a hybrid. You can do it online and remotely, but also materialize yourselves in a kind of Deleuzian uh, structure of virtual actual. And um, yeah, so it's really cool. Yeah, and so gather with us today 
are all of these different analysts that are going to be um, teaching in the certificate in psychoanalysis. The only one missing is Jameson Webster and her class is the first class um, of the semester, right? Which starts on October 2nd and she'll be teaching on conversion disorder which was her most recent book. Um, so maybe we should talk in kind of the order that the classes are scheduled. So that would be Braha, I guess, next. Then we change the order, start from the, the last one. <laughs> <laughs> so then that would be Helen. Okay, well, <laughs> I'll probably ruin the whole thing by getting it all wrong. Um, I should say up front, I'm not an analyst. I'm a filmmaker who's interested in psychoanalytic theory, which probably makes me the, well, definitely makes me the least qualified person here, but I'm very glad to be here and I very much enjoy collaborating with GCAS. So should I talk a little bit about um, the, the kind of class I'll be doing, a series of classes? Yeah, and anything else you want to add. Okay, okay. Well, I'm actually repeating a class I did last year. Um, I'm going to adapt it. What I found really um, interesting with GCAS is it's given me, I mean, I'm, I don't work in academia. I was involved a little bit in academia, but sort of, I think um, the age that I was coming through everything, I really felt uh, all these things that uh, Creston was talking about, the neoliberalization, the debt, I didn't really believe in it. <laughs> so I've kind of, um, I actually then, I, I left academia to become a teacher thinking I was escaping the same thing, but I wasn't, it was kind of possibly even, you know, more extreme there. And I found myself at the time, the students would always tell me I'd, I'd have this constant slip where I'd say, never mind, never mind, never mind, endlessly. And I think it was this real, you know, um, symptom of just like, I couldn't bear this, weird form of intellectualization that wasn't really the intellectual. Um, as you were saying, Vanessa, losing sort of the creative aspect. I don't, I, I mean, I, my work is, uh, is within film, sort of within the arts. And I, I, I mean, I, I don't see there being so much of a division between the intellectual and the creative. And this is something that maybe um, people don't agree with me in the arts, but um, I don't know, that's what I believe in. Um, but. GCAS has given me the opportunity to like sit and reflect on my own thoughts and then in delivering the classes coming to sort of understand what I think. I've enjoyed uh, podcasting over the last couple of years. I'm not very much a public person, I'm quite shy, but doing the public conversation to anyone who might listen or a conversation in public, I guess is similar to the sort of psychoanalytic practice of you know discovering more about yourself than anything else in having a dialogue. And I think, um, we're moving, we, we're in this really monologic age, you know, with the way the privatization of the university, the privatization of learning, having to get so much into debt for something that really is, is it that valuable? What is being uh, sold to students today? And I really admire what GCAS does. I'm really passionate about the idea of sort of moving towards dialogue, public dialogue, as a place where, that really reflects the nature of subjectivity itself. You know, that we aren't these closed off beings, we are within the other, we require the other to reflect back to ourselves, you know. Um, so yeah, so the course that I'll be doing is about uh, contradiction. Um, I'm very interested in, I'm sure all of you are as well, contradiction, lack, the unconscious. And I'll be looking at how contradiction manifests itself in uh, four different realms, psychoanalysis, or what psychoanalysis can do to help us reflect on contradiction, um, the political, language and the art of language and film. I think film is a particular medium that has this philosophical, um, it can be used as a philosophical tool to get us to confront the contradictory nature of subjectivity and desire. And unfortunately, what we mostly see today is a, um, a sort of film without its true impotence in the name of profit, in the name of ideology. And I think it really I think people know this and feel this, and I really am passionate about sort of restoring film to its truly emancipatory um, potential. Um, and so I'll be talking about how we attempt to repress contradiction uh, within our society today, but that of course only inevitably leads to a return of a repressed, a repressed that's potentially even worse. And I'll be looking at how maybe we can bring back contradiction to things like the political um, and how language, psychoanalysis, the art of language and uh, film can help us come to terms with contradiction and really bring it to the fore rather than repress it. 
I love that. And I love how you brought up the podcast as well. Obviously, we're on a podcast. And I found the same thing. Like, I leave the podcast very open and I don't prepare questions ahead of time because I treat it like a session in that way where I just want to see com what comes up and what's kind of generated. And I love how you phrased it that we learn about ourselves through the act of speaking. Um, so that's really fabulous. I feel like if anybody wants to comment on each other's classes or what they brought up, that might be nice as well, because I feel like what Helen just brought up was so rich. Thanks so much. I've been talking to Mary Wilde a lot lately, and of course she talks about um, film and, and psychoanalysis all the time. So I've been watching films more and more from a psychoanalytic viewpoint, not from like reading or studying about it, like film theory, but just from my own kind of lens. Um, and I feel like I'm getting such a different experience than I used to when I just thought of film as entertainment. It's really so much richer and it's really a place where artists can really put the audience in an all-encompassing uh, all space where all of these kinds of emotions are evoked for this kind of set period of time, especially in the theater um, as opposed Absolutely. to now. And I think just what you were saying about um, sort of uh, theory or film theory, I think a lot of what um, Tom McGowan's talked about this a lot. And I remember reading an article of his a few years ago and thinking like, oh, my gosh, somebody official is actually saying this. This is brilliant. But I sort of felt that um, a lot of film theory that uses the name psychoanalysis maybe is not doesn't reflect the true dynamics of psychoanalysis and the kind of ambivalence of psychoanalysis itself. And um, I think that often what is taught in film studies and film theory doesn't really capture, for instance, the whole dynamism of like a Lacanian perspective, for instance. So I really appreciate what Todd's doing. Absolutely. Am I the I next it, person in the backwards list? Yeah, actually, um, Isabel is, uh, should have been first because I think her course is in May or June. But anyway, sorry about that. And Isabel, where are you? You, you, the background doesn't look like you're flat in London. Where are no, you? No, it's not. It's not. It's um, I'm in my sister's house actually in Brussels. Oh, um, wow. Yeah. yeah, yeah. You're on the continent. How does it I feel with that post-Brexit continental oh, visit? It's so nice. It's just like a breath of fresh air to be. Even though there's loads of dog shit outside, it is actually a breath of fresh air to be in Brussels. <laughs> no, I love Brussels. Sorry, I shouldn't be disparaging to this wonderful. Um, it's really nice to be here actually and to feel part of Europe again for a moment until I have to go back to the grind in London but yeah um, so do, should, do you want me to go next or, or Vanessa or do you want to yeah I was just thinking about you with film too because as I said I've been listening to Mary Wilde a lot and I just listened to your discussion that you did with her and mm. now I have to go and rewatch Ex Machina so, yeah for that <laughs> yeah very very good film um no i mean i totally agree with helen um in in terms of of film as a very important um not just psychoanalytic but um conceptual tool and and political tool that needs to be taken more seriously again and, and certainly Todd mcgowan is somebody who's at the forefront of that so i really agree with that and i just want to say totally endorsing GCAS as just like a brilliant and amazing inspiring um development and and the fact that it's putting bringing not just amazing people together but giving opportunity for people all over the world to to experience this kind of education and debt-free education and the idea of interdisciplinarity I think is so key um that people understand truly what critical thinking is and and not not just in the sort of way that it's become this horrible naff um, neoliberal tool of critical thinking skills in order to be a to be a valuable member of the workforce you know actually why should we have critical thinking so that you can understand your situation you can question your situation so that you can um empower yourself and i think that this sort of format is just so wonderful because um it's really bringing together sort of um, un, un, sort of unorthodox and um, contradictory methods sometimes to bring out new exciting combinations and what a privilege to be around all you amazing women as well because I admire you all and you're all just fabulous people and scholars and, and researchers so um, this is great so I mean I think that the course um, that I'll be teaching is of course it's 
you know, under the auspices of um, psychoanalysis and artificial intelligence, because that's the, the book that I've just um, published. And, you know, uh, I think primarily what I'm kind of interested in is again, you know, the, the question of interdisciplinarity and sort of smashing together uh, discourses that wouldn't traditionally be put together. So part of my whole um, interest in the, the question of the psychoanalysis of AI was to, um, to uh, ask a sort of provocative question about what AI means for us as speaking sexed subjects and what psychoanalysis can bring to the study of artificial intelligence that uh, has not yet been thought um, in sort of the traditional philosophical or sort of analytical philosophical approaches to AI, which can often look at it as this sort of technical problem or a scientific problem. And, you know, anyone who's familiar at all with psychoanalysis will know that it's interested in the question of where uh, psychoanalysis fits into the sciences as a whole. And Lacan famously said, you know, what, what would um, a science be that, that had psychoanalysis within it? And, and that was his concern as well, to, to, to question the, the the subject within science. And, and so this whole metaphysical question of fitting in philosophy and psychoanalysis within the realm of the hard sciences as well is, is very much a concern of psychoanalysis. So uh, now that we are having to, to, to bring in the whole discourses around artificial intelligence, uh, around the political questions around AI and the social questions, the, the um, subjective questions, uh, I, I'm kind of interested in, in exploring those questions more and opening up um, the different types of problems that we might encounter as artificial intelligence becomes more of a concern for us as humans. And, and this can be both sort of on the level of um, everyday politics, how we interact with um, AI on a, on a sort of big data level, but, but, but more conceptually also uh, using film and literature to examine more kind of theoretical questions around embodiment, around uh, sexuality, around the changing way that we uh, think about what consciousness means in relation to um, the sort of detachment of the, the sort of the idea of the brain as separate from the body, which is discourses that a lot of kind of uh, very ambitious or singularitarian thinkers like Kurt, Ray Kurzweil and, 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 and Elon Musk perhaps, and people who are very interested in the future of the transhuman, all of these kind of fantasies that run away with us, but are actually, you know, serious fantasies because there are people with lots of money who have resources to, to kind of, um, you know, really tinker with these questions. So my course will be will be very much exploring different different aspects of that in, in various ways. Yeah, and Isabel knows how much I love her work and um, how I told her that you hystericize the whole discourse around AI and this technology because which is so important because we really don't want uh the tech bros to build our entire future thank yeah, you exactly. <laughs> yeah, exactly. right and when are you heading back to London well I sort of next week but I'm, I'm putting it off as long as possible I don't know I might hang out a bit longer if Right on. That's yeah, great. I might stay, yeah. <laughs> yeah, there's loads of stuff happening in Brussels, actually, like um, the psychoanalysis things are going on as well. So who knows? I might end up moving to Belgium. I don't know. Hey, that's great. Fantastic. Belgium is a great country. Yeah. I grew up, I spent four years in Belgium as a child, and I think it's oh, absolutely yeah. fantastic. And oh, Brussels yeah. is like the best. So it is. It is I really endorse. <laughs> no, it's lovely. It's lovely. Where do you live, Helen? In Belfast, Northern Ireland. Oh. Okay. Yes. Nice. <laughs> yeah. Do, you, yeah, do you ever see Van Morrison in Belfast? Is he still around? Um, Van Morrison used to be our neighbor. Oh. But I don't know where he is now. But he used to live right next door. He has a very, very, very sad life, Van Morrison. So he's a recluse. He went through a lot of tragic things. But he's still around and he's around this area. But I haven't seen him for wow. I don't know how long. <laughs> Amazing. Okay, I guess what next would be Julie's class, Introduction to Psychoanalysis, and she's going to be teaching that with Duane. Julie, you want to tell us about that? I want to tell you about that. So first of all, I'm really honored to be surrounded by people who I'm currently surrounded. And 
And I'm going to teach Introduction to Psychoanalysis, as Creston said, and I will have uh, invited lecturer Dwayne Russell. We will discuss some basic concept of psychoanalysis. Uh, we'll also consider critical perspective on psychoanalysis. And Dwayne will talk about interpretation of dreams, something that psychoanalysis has started with. And he will uh, also talk about nightmares, precisely putting it in the contemporary perspective of pandemic. Uh, and in my part, I will um, consider two probably most uh, important concepts of me, psychoanalytical concept is the pleasure principle and the death drive. And um, in my view, um, the pleasure principle is the key perspective in conventional psychoanalysis of how people, humans are perceived and how society is perceived. And the problem that it's quite outdated, this view, because it's utilitarian uh, a little bit, and it's also based on the outdated evolutionary perspective. So um, for me, uh, the main concept is something that we have to switch to, I think, is the death drive. And this is what Todd McGowan also does. <laughs> um, precisely putting death drive in a political context. And death drive I see, and death drive is something that originated basically the conception of death drive similar to it in Russia because it was invented by Russian psychoanalyst Sabina Shkirain. And we are quite pessimistic people here. Um, so con considering death drive as a central perspective, um, it, it wouldn't be uh, seen as aggression, sometimes seen, it wouldn't be seen as this um, compulsion to come back to uh, inorganic order, but as um, this is Mangalan also interpretation, as um, to see people, humans as self-sacrificing because and the perspective of pleasure principle, Freudian original one, it, uh, it suggested that people are narcissistic and they are uh, anti-social initially. And, uh, and to, to form, it's problematic for them to form uh, their social bonds. And the other problem that it, it's impossible to recognize the suffering human within such, it's impossible to recognize suffering within such perspective, because even if Freud considers masochism as a feature, our inborn feature, he still for him, masochism is a form of, of a pleasure, pleasure. So there is no suffering human and psychoanalysts would even interpret suffering subject as um, having, for example, a certain form of jouissance, which is also even if it's not completely pleasure, but it's also something about pleasure. So there's this impossibility to recognize sociality as an inborn and, um, and human as not uh, narcissistic. So to consider them from perspective of death drive and death drive not only as the driving drive of a subject, but also as a form of social connectedness, a subject as self-sacrificing subject and subject as pro-social subject. And I will also talk in the last uh, meeting about uh, negative psychoanalysis. It's a Freudian Marxist concept developed by J. Kobe. Um, and it precisely, in my view, considers this new type of psychoanalysis that puts, or at least has the potential to put death drive at the center of uh, perspective. Wow. Hey, Vanessa, I think you're, thank you, Julie. Sorry. That was, that's that's going to be an amazing class with you and Duane. And aren't you and Duane uh, like connected in some other way too, right? Yeah. Why? <laughs> Did you get, didn't you just get married to Duane or something? Not yet. Oh, okay. So it's, it's coming. It's a messianic marriage. <laughs> that's cool. Julie. Thanks, Julie. Julie, can I ask you a question? Yeah. Will you also address the life drive? Yeah, no. <laughs> <laughs> In the end, it's all no. that drive. No. It, it doesn't fit. No, no life drive. <laughs> yeah, no life drive. But basically, my idea is, yeah, I wouldn't present it that, radic that radically in this course, but I think it's we are fine without... Uh, you, one can develop a perspective and understand uh, evolution, society, humans without the concept of life. I'm trying to do it 
but I wouldn't be that radical, I promise, in the introduction to psychonauts. No, I think that's very important, very interesting because I, when I recently analyzed the life drive in Freud and following that in Lacan and, and in Deleuze and Guattari and all these wonderful minds, um, it was quite clear that the life drive in Freud is basically a death drive for the human, for the human being. Because when you think what is life drive in Freud, it is about the, the, the drives or the push of um, the atoms and the amoeba and the particles, you know, to unite together at the expense, I would say, even of the human being. So, mm -hmm. so if this life drive doesn't need human being and yeah. doesn't need psycho psychoanalysis, but the, the, the problem is that that's the mo model. Yeah, so, so we are modeling something about desiring of life upon that which has nothing to do with human beings. So this takes us to huge imbalance at the heart of the theory itself. Mm -hmm. Is this something similar to what Jeje calls bare life? This nightmare of bare life, just uh, something that repeats itself and repeats death, bringing death at the same time. So, yeah. yeah. Bare life rough. would be more close to a real that could still be a kind of belong to the human as being which animality of being, let's say it like that, and is deprived of anything that we consider human. But it still relates to a unit, which is a complex animal unit that human beings are. But the, the, the life drive in Freud, it's, it's even the mo molecules and the, you know, the little cells that want to mix together and who cares if it's human, not human, and even real animal. Or... So I think that, well, but that's maybe for, for the future. This life gives you enough uh, work and give us enough trouble <laughs> for the moment. Yeah. So I was initially following the psychoanalytic perspective, Lacanian, uh, that death drive is something that separates human is specifically human drive. And I recently uh, wrote a paper on, on the drive of evolution. And it looks to me that it's not only uh, human, but the uh, human drive, but also the driving force of evolution itself. And human are, hum what we call human, is just the kind of constellation of this destructive drive of, uh, not of life, but <laughs> of evolution. Yeah. That's amazing. I would love to read that. Thank you. Um, and I think, Vanessa, your course is interesting because it's both in the psychoanalysis program, certificate program, as well as the um, master's in philosophy program. And I think you're teaching this course in early next year or something like this. Mm -hmm. So what, what is your course about? And um, it was interesting the way we came about how to develop your course anyway but yeah tell us about that yeah and it actually segues great from what julie was talking about because it's about repetition compulsion and um its formal title is called the unconscious act series of repetition and philosophy and psychoanalysis um so basically um we talk about the unconscious act exploring um the philosophers that came before freud um, namely nietzsche and schopenhauer who uh, clearly influenced him whether he says so or not, <laughs> and to understand uh, the mechanisms that work in the unconscious act, in uh, the psychoanalytic act, um, and we also come to talk about the act, of course, in theater and tragedy, um, and in that way, um, I talk about Simon Critchley's work um, on tragedy and, and the Greeks to kind of um, highlight how these things are played out in that way. I also, at the end, talk about um, 
the unconscious in the internet and I'm looking at Clint Burnham's book, Does the Internet Have an Unconscious? Um, because I think that brings kind of the work of theater up to date into our current kind of social collective social theater that we have online. Um, and of course, before that, um, we talk about Deleuze and difference of repetition um, and talk about the Ljubljana school philosophers that kind of expound upon that. Um, yeah, so and of course, Lacan psychoanalytic act and um, Freud's theories of, you know, acting out, of course, in psycho pathology of everyday life, but also um, looking at different ways that he talks about remembering, repeating, and working through, and those kind of seminal works where Freud expounds upon the, um, the repetition compulsion, and of course the eternal return of Nietzsche, that sort of thing. Thank you, Vanessa. So my class is going to be introduction to your class. <laughs> Nice. Yeah. <laughs> that's perfect. Um, that's wonderful. And I guess then in a few weeks after Jameson's class kicks off next Saturday on the 2nd, we're going to have Braha's uh, seminar um, starting. And um, yeah, and I wonder if you, Braha, could talk to us about where are you in your intellectual um, journey and how does this seminar relate to that and your work in art, in psychoanalysis, in philosophy? The reply will, you know, for, formulate itself. But first of all, I'm very happy about everything that I heard here. And um, I think it's fascinating and that you succeed to bring together wonderful people. And um, I'm particularly um, happy um, about this um, connection that is entering between psychoanalysis and art and basically psychoanalysis and, and cinema and film and uh, the new media as well. Because um, I was thinking that I might, uh, well, I'm going to, to talk about the matrixial sphere and the matrixial gaze and what is the meaning of the, and why the matrixial gaze is feminine in relation to what it is feminine in fact, in relation to what kind of understanding of the gaze the, um, uh, in, in Lacan and even perhaps in Merleau-Ponty. And then the relation between the gaze and the screen, which are becoming very complexified with, of course, the digital uh, media that we are all using in different forms. And uh, the question uh, for me will be also on what kind of um, basis we could even talk or describe the feminine in psychoanalysis and bring it into some kind of different uh, coordination, keeping in mind that the structure of the subject that Freud was working with and finally also Lacan is uh, a male, uh, male structure and the development of the male narcissism was at the center of his idea of sexuality. Um, and Freud says so. He says, you know, how would a person, a the neutral child, how could he uh, live and develop if he Im would imagine that some organs vital for life is lacking in him? The child cannot imagine that. And that's why we get into the anus and so on. It's a whole com complex just to save not male sexuality, but male narcissism. So we have subject narcissism and difference of the sexual difference and body. All of those are harnessed together to protect a certain idea of the subject, which in fact is right in front of our eyes, um, right, uh, melting and does not hold anymore. 
But this melting, it doesn't mean in my terms that we are going just to the other side, like endless multiplicity a la Deleuze and Guattari. That either we have the subject as imagined by Freud um, upon some kind of masculine subjectivity and we have to ask ourselves what it means. It's either that or mil uh, thousand uh, fragmentation. Well, that's not the point. Matrixial, with the matrixial, we are trying to understand a, a different kind of subjectivity related to the feminine, related to the maternal, basically in the sense that we all came from the maternal, from a connection be between whatever it is that we are becoming and a maternal female body body is horror for psychoanalysis, but we must say body, or the real, if you want. And then in that transconnectedness that we are all formed, well, what would that uh, teach us or bring to us in terms of the relation to the, to the object, to the relation to other subjects? And uh, I talk about the matrixial gaze in relation to the phallic gaze, but also in relation and which is even more important today to the symbiotic gaze because today and here we go to the digital stupor i'm going to talk about the question is how to separate subject and screen the eye and the screen a very different situation than the situation when lacan talks about the eye and the gaze in the 50s in the 60s so he's uh well there is a situation we could not imagine um, in the 50s and the 60s. And, and, and so I'm going to, to talk, probably go through basics in order to understand what is the meaning of oblivion, what is the meaning of memory, what is the function of witnessing, and all of that, taking it to the feminine uh, matrixial. Now, I think that I'm going to um, relate to some films that were interesting to me and I analyzed in the past, like Hiroshima Mon Amour. And so try to, to show this matrixial gaze and screen via Marguerite Duras and Alain René and the certain question of love and the tragic. Julie, you're invited talk about love in my seminar, if you want. She's very strong on love right now. Um, and I'll keep to the tragic and to, and to trauma, to the question of trauma. And perhaps even um, I, will, I might relate maybe to Almodovar, though other people wrote about Almodovar and the matrixial gaze and the question of feminine transgendering transgressing within to the feminine, coming back, Tiresias. Um, what else? Uh, and basically, I, I don't know because this is a constant um, conflict in me. Should I go to the basics, like things I was thinking 30 years ago and explain the matrixial structure and subjectivity and what's the meaning of that? Or should I jump with the students to what I'm working on now, which has to do with my art? It was, has always had to do with then when you talk about now, it becomes intensive. What are the forms of that I'm dealing with in my art takes us to body, to spirituality, to... Um, and that's, uh, I, I cannot solve it. I'll solve it in the last minute and I, with the students in the way i'll see what what make them um, fly <laughs> i'll see what what is important uh, for them right now um, i don't know if i can talk only about what interests me now um, but uh, it was the life drive I mean, the catastrophe of life of, of a death drive disguised as life drive and how we pay for that with our relation to the earth, with our relation to one another and to the cosmos. And 
or or to talk about the digital stupor. So sexual difference will be central wow. to all of that. Yeah, that's why is it the cat the catastrophe of the death drive closed in the life drive disguised in the life drive. And why is it that every time Braha talks, I'm just like put into a different state? It's really <laughs> incredible. Transfixed. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you, Chris. Thank you. Um, I suppose that when I when I start to talk, especially when I start to talk psychoanalysis, uh, I have that sense of, on the one hand, we have a very, very rich theoretical field that the 21st century cannot be imagined without it. And also the 20th century cannot be imagined without it. And some of it, some of its structures we keep. For example, there's no sexual, uh, uh, difference will not enter the question about uh, consciousness and the unconscious and how we how do we reformulate it there will be unconsciousness there will be consciousness and we will navigate right so some of it is absolutely necessary we cannot even understand philosophy without it and some of it is extremely influenced by the social, by the biology of the time of Freud, by social habits. And, and there, there we enter a different catastrophe, at least for half of the population, at least. So how to keep the, some of the baby and some of the water and not say all together, I don't, you know, I push it aside. There was this old question, Marxism, psychoanalysis. Well, this old debate still goes on. And in my feeling, it's not relevant. It's not relevant. I mean, you, we cannot ignore the structuring of the psyche and subjectivity, or we cannot ignore social bonds, question of responsibility enters. And on top of that, I'm not sure if the students wish or wish, do not wish also to enter some question of pra the practicality of the process of psychoanalysis itself. Uh, you have two people sitting there in a room and we are still asking the question, what moves between them? Is it the word that we are saying? Is it the images? Is it some kind of vibrations that we don't really control and we, we ignore? Or do we work in psychoanalysis even though there is a transference? Or do we work because we are using the transference? And all of this is also relevant to analyzing films and literature and, and relations of teacher and students. And, so I don't know, Creston, is it okay that I don't yet know what I'm going to teach? <laughs> I think uh, that's the perfect, it's a perfect seminar where you just explore as you, as you move through the material. Yeah, I also love, Creston, how you gave us so much um, flexibility on how we wanted to structure our classes. You're just like, run with it, do whatever you want, basically. <laughs> and how they all like, fit together so well you know it looks like such a cohesive program like everybody's kind of thinking of different aspects of similar things and it sounds like it's really gonna build build together and fit together really nicely thank you for listening to rendering unconscious you've just heard a discussion with the faculty of gcas the global center for Advanced Studies, Certificate in Psychoanalysis Program of the Institute of Psychoanalysis. For more information and to register for courses, go to our website, gcascollege.ie. That's gcascollege.ie. 
Links to everything can be found in the text accompanying this episode. You can visit my website, drvanessasinclair.net, or the podcast main website, renderingunconscious.org, for links and more information. You can also follow me on Twitter and Instagram at rawsin underscore. That's R-A-W-S-I-N underscore. Rendering Unconscious is also a book. Rendering Unconscious, Psychoanalytic Perspectives, Politics, and Poetry. From Tripart Books 2019. For more information, you can visit our publisher's website, tripart.net. That's T-R-A-P-A-R-T dot net. You can support the podcast at our Patreon, patreon.com forward slash Vanessa 23 Carl. That's V-A-N-E-S-S-A 2-3-C-A-R-L. Your support is very appreciated. Thank you so much for supporting Rendering Unconscious Podcast and all of my other creative endeavors. A descent to the roots of worlds by crossing experience by which we create and shape our world. The scales of Mott observed the traveler, an extra human being. A gown made from the flesh. A gown made from the flesh. Heart floss leather cording. Each thing that beautiful. Dressed all in blue, a gown made from the flesh, a gown made from the flesh. How can we interface to our subjective experience? And the metabolic behavior seems rather sophisticated. Why is the interaction of a simple entity with a, but rather, in a sense, constructing entities of behaviors? The effect will occur. The of the flesh, of the flesh, and through which one touches the visible, the visible, and the invisible, the invisible, the invisible. A gown, a gown, from the flesh.